0: hello. I'm back to talk to you guys about the disappearance of Tom Brown. I want to quickly say that my pets are here and I'm still on a trash can. I don't even know why I continue to say that stuff. Just expect it. And then one day you'll hit play and I will sound like a glorious podcast angel in the heavens above. But until then, this is what you get. Uh, so because I wait a month in between episode uploads, I'm just going to jump right in. And on Thanksgiving Eve, 2016, 18 year old Thomas Kelly Brown was riding around his small Texas town with two of his friends, Caleb King, who happened to be the son of state representative Ken King and Michael Castletine, whose father, Jeff was a pre-kindergarten special ed teacher in Canadian. Now I want to quickly say Michael's last name may be Castle Um, I did listen to a podcast and I'm just gonna go ahead and plug that information here. Um, I listened to a podcast by a journalist, um, Skip Hollinsworth, and he did an eight part series on this case. I think he spent like a year, you know, going to Canadian, conducting interviews. Um, it's super comprehensive. But it's been a couple of months since I listened, and so I cannot remember if it was pronounced Castleteen or Castle Castletine. Um, I'm just going to say Castletine, and I apologize if anybody is listening going, that's not how you say it. Moving forward. So the three friends were driving around, they're listening to music, talking about their futures because the end of senior year at Canadian high school was you know, quickly approaching. And around eight o'clock that night, they head back to the parking lot where they had met up at the Wildcat football stadium to pick up another friend, Christian Webb. At this time, Michael leaves the group and then Tom and Caleb get into Christian's car and they go around and, you know, cruise the town, do general teenage stuff. Shortly before 11.30 p.m., Tom is brought back to his vehicle, which is a red 2009 Dodge Durango. And Tom stops at the Franck oil gas station. I'm going to assume that's how you pronounce it. I don't know any other way, but um, couldn't find anything. So I know people get really funny about the way you say stuff just based upon videos that I post. I get corrections. And so I always try to find a video with audio where someone says it and hope that they're saying it correctly. Um, but it doesn't matter. The gas station is less important than Michael's name. So Tom stops at this gas station. It was located on South 2nd Street and he swipes his mother's credit card to pump gas. Now I've seen this time reported as both 1128 and 1136 PM. Like I've seen it in a few different sources, a few different times, like both of those times, multiple instances, um, so I'm not exactly sure. At first, I thought it was going to be 11.28 because I had seen that the most, and then 11.36 started popping up. So somewhere in between that time, now at 11.40 p.m., Tom is seen on CCTV footage pumping the gas. And additional footage showed Tom driving back toward the direction of the middle and the high schools where the stadium was located at 11.51 p.m. Now, I want to say this really quickly. I live in a town pretty similar to Canadian, to be quite honest, like down to the football state champ frenzy. And while I was researching this and I was looking at pictures of this gas station, I thought like, oh man, I bet those pumps are so slow, just like mine are in my town. But even with slow pumps, that's like 15 to 23 total minutes to pump gas and then drive off again, which to me seems like an unusually long time. Unless maybe you were like running inside to grab, you know, convenience store items, gas station snacks, one of my personal favorites. Um, But in the images, like it's a teeny tiny little building, you know, one that like you go in and it's not going to have a bathroom. Maybe it has one outside, like one of those little, little spots. Um, And there was rows of propane tanks covering up the side of the building that was facing the street. So I wasn't able to really determine if it was a possibility that maybe he went inside. And I didn't read anything um, about that in my research regarding the surveillance footage that he went inside. It all just talks about him pumping the gas and then being seen driving off around 1151. Now, Tom had a strict midnight curfew Um, And his mom, Penny Meeks, she was already slightly concerned because Tom was rarely late for this curfew. And if he knew he was going to be, he would always call or text to let her know. So around 12.03 a.m., Penny asked Tom's older brother, Tucker, who was home for the holiday, to text Tom and find out where he was. So the message was delivered, but it was never read. And Penny's starting to ramp up in worry. So she sends Tom a text herself at 1223 a.m. Around 1229, Penny tried calling Tom, but all of her attempts went to his voicemail straight away. Now it's reported that his last cell phone ping was um, at 1210 a.m. near the parking lot of the football stadium. So Penny's like, Getting a little frantic, she wakes up her husband, Chris, and tells him what's going on and that she's going to go look for Tom. And Tucker, along with a friend that he had over, they head out in Tucker's vehicle. So Tucker and his friend are in Tucker's vehicle. Penny goes out in her vehicle. Chris stays at home just in case, you know, Tom comes home while everyone's out looking for him. So after about an hour, Tucker drops his friend off at home and he goes back out to search some more. During that time, Penny had came back to her home and called Caleb to ask if he had any idea where Tom could be. And Caleb calls Michael and Christian and then all three of them, independently of each other, um, go out searching and Caleb's mom goes along with him. So it's Caleb and his mom in one vehicle, Michael and Christian in their two separate vehicles. So by 2.30 that morning, there was no sign of Tom um, by anyone who was out searching. So Penny contacts the sheriff's office to report him missing. And Sheriff's Deputy Pine Gregory is dispatched. And according to his report, he drove around for a while first to look for Tom's truck. Now, I've never... um, been involved directly in a missing persons case or report. So, I don't really know what protocol would be, especially um in a town that doesn't have a police station. You know, they just have a sheriff's office, so it's a really small little town. I don't know. I don't know if that's normal, but it stuck out to me. I thought it was strange that you would first drive around and take it upon yourself to look for the truck rather than going to the home Anyway, moving on. So he, after driving around, takes a little while, he goes to Penny's house and that's around 4 a.m. Now I've seen it reported as 3.30, um, but I'm going to go with his report, which <laughs> maybe might not want to, which we'll find out later why, um, around 4 a.m. Now, like I said, you know, um, I did listen to the Tom Brown's Body podcast Um, So I got several details that I'm going to review within this podcast episode. And I just wanted his work to be recognized Um, as someone who is sitting here recording a podcast episode. And I use that term loosely. (laughs) I didn't even know what a podcast was in like 2019. I've said that before, but it's true. Like, I mean, I had a general idea, but I didn't listen to them. So I still don't really listen to many. Like, in fact, I can tell you the four that I have ever listened to. Uh, side note, if you struggle with anxiety, anxiety slayers is dope. Um, but Tom Brown's body is one that I did listen to and it was very good in my personal opinion. So check that out. Uh, so anyway, in late 2020, he, um, you know, releases this podcast And he had been traveling to Canadian and was interviewing key players in the case, as well as some lesser known people. And um, a lot of these details that I collected were from audio clips. He's got a lot of great clips of interviews. So back to Pine. Uh, So Pine makes this comment that Penny came outside and met him out front instead of inviting him inside. Now this could have been due to Penny's previous, excuse me, previous experience. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to edit that out, but we, we all know I'm not going to. So I'm just going to start right over. Her not inviting Pine in could have been due to her previous experience with the sheriff's department. So in 2015, and I couldn't find anything that pronounced this, so I'm sure I'm going to mess it up. Um, but it's. Lipscomb. It looks like the word lips and then comb. Lipscomb, maybe. But P comes first. So I'm going to say lipscomb. I don't know. Uh, A Lipscomb County Sheriff's deputy named Nathan Lewis was driving past the Palace Movie Theater in Canadian. And he saw a bunch of teens standing around, um, you know, according to him, kind of loitering around, looking like they were up to no good. And this group included Tom. So he just. Suspects that they're all up to no good, and he stops by now, as I said, he was a deputy in a neighboring county, and this movie theater was located in Canadian. Lewis was on his way home because he lived in Canadian, so he just rolls up to these kids at this movie theater, like, "Hey, what are you doing?" Um so he says in his words that he asked Tom what the hell they were all doing, and they needed to get their butts home. But Penny had a different recollection of the encounter, and she actually filed a complaint with the sheriff's office against Lewis because Tom had told her when he got home that he was accosted and that he and the group were only there looking for a friend's dad who ran the theater. Now, Lewis denied any wrongdoing or any mistreatment against Tom, and no action really resulted from the complaint. So, there's speculation that maybe that's a reason that she wasn't as warm and welcoming as Pine may have wished. But also, maybe it's because she's panicking that her son, who is never late, is missing. It's been hours at this point. Uh, there is also the possibility that maybe she's trying to hide something inside the house, um, which the sheriff's office will, they'll allege later. That's a theory later. So we'll get into that. Um, but just a quick little background on Tom. He was born on September 13th, 1998. And by all accounts was just a really good kid. He was the senior class president. He was uh, number 70 on the football team, a reserve offensive lineman. Um, that team is now a five state title holding team. So, you know, football was real important in that community. Um, up until earlier that year, you know, he was really into that, but he decided to leave the team because he wanted to focus more on his studies. And I had read that he and Penny had had a discussion over the summer and she was kind of trying to uh, talk him into not playing anymore because she could kind of tell that his heart just wasn't in it the same way that it had been. And he really loved, um, the drama club and theater. He loved acting and he was really into public speaking, and he also loved WWE wrestling. And he even asked Penny if he could become a wrestler one day. Um, and he was just described as nice to everyone by his friends. He was said to have a kind heart and was always supporting the underdog. Shortly before his disappearance, Tom and his girlfriend Sage had broken up. She was a senior. When she met Tom, who was a junior at the time in theater class, and they began dating, but when she left for college, they decided it would be too difficult to carry on a long-term relationship, especially with Tom going off to college as well. At the time of his disappearance, Sage was home visiting from school, and she and Tom did exchange texts um, that weekend after seeing each other at a basketball game. And Tom said in these texts that he was sad and felt like a loser. And Sage tells him, you know, she reassures him that he's not a loser and, and she's sad too. And they exchange, um, you know, I misuse. I believe maybe she said that to him or uh, I can't remember now. I apologize. So doesn't matter. Let's just not bring that up since I don't know. But, you know, just general niceties um, because when they did break up, she said that he was incredibly kind and that he hoped that she would find a good guy to be her next boyfriend. She was actually married in July of this year, so it seems like maybe his his hope for her came true. Uh, but after they exchanged those texts and he you know, was saying that he was sad and felt like a loser, she does say that she texted him the next day just to check in with him, but he never replied. So now we're back to the early morning hours of Thanksgiving in 2016, and Pine Gregory, the sheriff's deputy, and Tucker are out driving around together now, and they're looking for Tom. So in several online articles that I read, um, it's reported that Tucker pointed to this open gate, which was normally closed, leading to a dirt road. So Tucker asks Pine to go back so they can check it out because it stuck out to him. You know, it's strange. And Pine said, allegedly, no, he had to go off shift. His shift was going to end, so he refused to go check out this area. So Tucker returns home around 6 a.m. without any sighting of Tom or his truck. After hours of coming up with nothing, Christian asked her father, who owned a helicopter company, to help search for Tom. And then after not a long search, there it was. On a dirt road across from the town's water treatment plant sat Tom's truck parked under some trees. Now, Christian claims that she didn't even know this road existed and she felt sure that Tom wouldn't have known either because they never drove to that area. So they contact the sheriff's office and Lewis and a deputy go straight to the site and they reported finding Tom's truck unlocked with one window rolled about halfway down. Tom's friends and family said that he would always lock his doors and keep his windows rolled up, in part because he kept his school-issued laptop in the truck when he wasn't using it. Missing from the truck was the laptop, along with his cell phone, his backpack, his wallet, and his keys. Upon investigation, Lewis found a 25 caliber shell casing on the floorboard of the truck, but reported finding nothing else at all that would indicate a gun had been fired inside the vehicle. He also noted Michael Castletine's debit card between the front seats, a small spot of dried blood on the inside of the driver's door near the handle that would amount to what he said was no more than a cut on your knuckle or a paper cut, and then what appeared to be urine, and a light shoe print outside the driver's door. But that was not collected. By Thanksgiving afternoon, Lewis contacts Penny to ask if she or anyone else in the house owned a twenty-five caliber gun. She tells him no, and Lewis advised that he was returning Tom's truck. When Penny questioned him why it was being brought back so soon, and if fingerprints or any other evidence needed to be collected, if that had been done, she states that Lewis's response was quote, well, we don't need it anymore. So they bring the truck back to Penny's house and Tucker begins his own look through the vehicle. He didn't find anything that would strike him as out of the ordinary. And the next morning, Lewis has the truck towed back to the sheriff's office. According to Lewis, he just wanted to make sure that no evidence was overlooked. Uh, what? (laughs) You already overlooked a few pieces it seems before you return the truck but okay uh lewis says that he can't get fingerprints off of a dirty and dusty vehicle but that they did try when he had it towed back my question is like why didn't you try the first time when you had the vehicle lewis confusion but unfortunately it had been compromised by people looking through it and i say to that you don't you don't say That's what happens when you give someone's vehicle back before you do a thorough investigation. Moving on. So during a following interview at the Sheriff's Office with Deputy Brent Clapp, Penny says that her first thought was that Tom committed suicide. When Clapp asks why, she explains that her thought process was because he's a senior, his full load of classes, and not really knowing where he wanted to go to college, coupled with his recent breakup, would be you know, a lot of stress on a kid. And she said that she didn't believe it was out of the realm of possibility for any of the high school kids to commit suicide. Penny was asked if she thought Tom would have left with someone that he, excuse me, that she didn't know, but she said that she didn't think so. And she mentions that maybe he went off to pursue his dream of becoming a wrestler, knowing herself saying it might be a stretch. Meanwhile, during an interview with Deputy Jerry Lynn Ortega, Sage claims that Tom confessed to her earlier that year that he liked to wear adult diapers. When Ortego tells this to Lewis, he takes this as Penny withholding information, so he arranges another meeting with her. After a quick update on the investigation, Lewis tells Penny about the diapers. And it was implied that it was in a kind of a confrontational manner, you know. Um, he's telling her like, look, I know about this as if she knew and was withholding it. So she feels that Lewis is trying to make Tom look bad after already conducting a not so great investigation thus far. So she's lost trust in him. And she decides immediately to call in private investigator Philip Klein. I think the few of you that are here, watch my videos on TikTok. That's how you got here. So if you remember, Um, Philip Klein was also hired by Michael Chamberlain's family after he went missing in Quinlan, Texas, in 2017. I just wanted to say something really quickly about Philip Klein. (laughs) Um, He appeared on a Dateline special in 2009 when he traveled to Mexico and reported finding Patrick McDermott now he was Olivia Newton-John's like on-again off-again boyfriend and went missing in 2005 and he had been presumed dead because he disappeared off of a fishing boat Klein said that McDermott was alive and living under his birth name and just wanted to get away from the drama McDermott's ex-wife said that this was not true and in 2012 she wrote to Jeff Bezos you know, that little guy from Amazon, and asked him to stop advertising the book called Lost at Sea, which was written by Klein about McDermott. Um, She called Klein a well-known serial liar who was just looking to become famous. I also want to say I got that little piece of information from Wikipedia. (laughs) I didn't look any further into it, so um, I don't know. I don't, I don't use that as a source for anything. Um, I was just looking something up and I noticed that little bit about him. So if you're interested in finding out more, uh, there you go. So it was just interesting with some of the things that people, um, in Canadian have to say about Klein. So Klein and Lewis meet and Lewis allows Klein to review the case files about Tom, but they make it known right from the jump, they don't like each other. Klein says that the first thing Lewis tells him is that Tom is gay and has a fetish with adult diapers and ran away. And I think Klein said that he, um, Lewis spent 30 minutes trying to convince Klein that that's what happened. Lewis thinks that Klein is full of himself and only wanted to talk about how good he was at finding missing people instead of discussing the case. Um, Klein says that Lewis is intentionally unhelpful now Lewis who took the position of sheriff in September 2016 so remember this is November this is Thanksgiving of 2016 and Lewis has just become the sheriff in September he had never conducted a missing persons case before and admittedly like his sheriff style was he liked kicking down doors and <laughs> um, he says that in a clip in the Tom Brown's body podcast And he promised the people of Canadian that he was going to do like a lot of drug busting work. So in Lipscomb County, that sounds so strange to say. I hope that's right. But in that county, he was involved in this high speed chase and it ended in a physical altercation and um, a tasing. So I think he's definitely one who like preferred the action based upon his own words. So he claims that he never made those assumptions about tom to klein but in the podcast christian webb's mother describes a similar encounter so she's saying that she had a similar run-in with nathan lewis that philip klein had when they first meet so after christian had started college in 2017 we're going to kind of jump ahead just a little bit for this piece She was interrogated by the Texas Rangers office and an FBI agent in kind of like an ambushed style. They just showed up at her school and they were in these like black SUVs, something out of a movie type thing. So it really shook her up. She was like upset about it and kind of paranoid and she calls her parents and she tells them and at one point she tells them like, I don't even want to talk right now because I'm afraid my phone is bugged. So it was that kind of situation. So the next night christian's mother anita says that her and her husband are out to dinner and lewis was there and anita claims that lewis comes up to her and apologizes to her for the interrogation of her daughter but wanted anita to know that christian had been cleared of any like criminal activity anita goes on to say that lewis told her quote we know that thomas has run off with an older man to colorado He's somewhere in Colorado with an older man. Um, If you listen to the podcast that I talk about every two minutes, um, (laughs) they go into a little bit more detail about maybe why Lewis was coming up with this theory. There was a girl who said that, um, I think her name's Macy Patterson. It could be Peterson. I don't have it in front of me Um, because I didn't want to just take everything from someone else's podcast that a journalist spent, you know, a year on. I wasn't going to just go over everything. And like I said, it's eight parts. So it's uh, massively comprehensive. But um, she says that her and Tom had a conversation once about how easy it would be to escape Canadian if you like didn't use a cell phone or didn't use a debit card. And she kind of comes up later with this Person that Christian is texting, and they think that maybe it's Tom, like using an alias and a different phone, and all of that stuff. And I believe that that person was in Colorado, so that may be why. But again, they go into greater detail about how they make those connections. Um, I just wanted to focus on the fact that this is what Christian's mother is saying that Lewis is telling her at a family restaurant, like, Oh, yeah. Uh, Tom went off with the older man. So, a little strange. Uh, here's something else interesting to note. Penny says that 10 days after Tom disappeared, Lewis showed her a picture of him pumping gas. She confirmed that it was Tom and that it was his truck in the picture. And Lewis told her that it came from Dollar General CCTV. That is important later. But Penny says that she was positive that it was a close-up dash cam picture. Like, low to the ground, taken, close-up. And um, later on, Lewis said that this picture does not exist. So, it's weird. In January of 2017, an electric company worker saw a backpack sitting upright about five feet off the road. He noticed it and just left it. But claims it wasn't until later... When hearing about Tom's case that he drove back out to the area um, that residents call Lake Marvin Road and he opened it up and there were items inside with Tom's name on them including a laptop Um, and so he zips it back up, leaves it in the spot, he finds it, found it, excuse me, and he calls the sheriff's office. For months, speculation and accusations were tossed about. Lewis and Klein both appeared on this local radio show to give their versions of the speculations and Klein brings in a cadaver dog and he reports that it had hit on Tom's vehicle where the blood streak had determined to be Tom's. In October, 2017 Klein organizes a search of the Lake Marvin road area where the backpack was found within the first 10 minutes of this search. A volunteer locates an iPhone in the grass near the beginning of the road. Now, this phone had no obvious damage, um, and it was kind of a big turning point in the case because it was in such good condition actually that Klein believed it was just dropped by a volunteer. And that furthered his belief of foul play because his thinking is someone had to have placed the phone there. Now Klein claims that he didn't tell anyone where the search was being held, not even the volunteers until that very morning, and that the only people who knew about the location beforehand were, you guessed it, the sheriff's department and volunteer firefighters. So the phone sent off And in January of 2018, because there was some delays due to backed up cases, the FBI confirms that the phone was in fact Tom's. Now, Lewis automatically suspects Klein of planting the phone and um, said that after a few weeks after Tom disappeared. So Lewis is explaining that a few weeks after Tom disappears, Penny called Caleb's mother and asked if Caleb knew the password to Tom's phone. When questioned about this later, Penny says that Deputy Clapp called and asked her if she knew the passwords because they were working on trying to tie up some loose ends. Now, Clapp denied this conversation whenever Skip Hollinsworth asks him about it later. So, strange. I could see both sides of suspicion there. Um, because it is very strange that the phone had no damage. There had been like heavy rains in the area the week prior to the search or the few weeks prior to the search. Um, that grassy area had been mown, you know, uh, how many times. Um, so you would expect that if a phone had been there, it would have had damage. So over the next year, four law enforcement agencies, which were the Hill County Sheriff's Office, the Texas Rangers, the FBI, and the Texas Attorney General's Office, in addition to Philip Klein, would continue to conduct investigations, including polygraph tests. And those were for Penny, Chris, Lewis, and Klein. Penny was accused of withholding information and that the agent presented a scenario where Penny finds Tom dead by suicide and out of shame from another suicide in her family, hides his body and Chris and Tucker helped her. Now, Penny's father had committed suicide the same year that Tom was born in a campsite near Lake Marvin. So a lot of people theorize that Tom was trying to... um you know, go and find the same area to end his own life. Penny said that that was actually a ridiculous claim um, because she nor her husband could have moved Tom's body due to their health issues and that um, Tucker couldn't do it on his own. So Penny also said that she had never discussed her father's death with either of her sons. So they wouldn't have known, um, you know, where to go. Now, Lewis was outraged by his experience with the polygraph because of the way that the questions were presented during his examination. He said that it was bullshit and he would never take another lie detector test. LOL. Um, by his own account, Klein passed his exam. So Penny, Klein, and Lewis would all appear on that local radio show and Penny expresses her frustrations with just slow movement in the case. You know, she says that they're all very tight-lipped and um, she's just told repeatedly that they're working on it, but nothing seems to be coming. In January of 2019, Pine Gregory was on duty, but decided he was going to take a little antler hunting break. So Gregory apparently collected antlers that had been shed by deer. And so he was just taking a peek around at the end of Lake Marvin Road, about 12 miles from where Tom's phone had been found over a year before. Gregory says that he followed a deer trail and after about 200 feet or so, he noticed something that looked like a white ball. He calls in Lewis and tells him that he has found a human skull. And I want to point out, I don't have the exact time, but I do recall reading somewhere that this was in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m., which, okay, you know, they they work overnights, they patrol. It's not something that's so crazy unusual, but it is to me a little strange. Like you're at Lake Marvin Road looking for deer antlers at two o'clock in the morning when it's gotta be, you can't see your hand in front of your face dark. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's completely normal. Um, I'm not like a hunter person. My dad is a pretty avid hunter of the deer. I could ask him if that's normal behavior, but he's also not a law enforcement officer. So don't know. I just wanted to point that out, the timing. So he has reported that he's found a human skull And officers arrived to search the area. They found a pair of shoes, bones, partial clothing, and a driver's license. It was a Texas driver's license belonging to Thomas Kelly Brown. And rumors began to run rampant throughout the town. Tom's friends were accused. Tom's friends' parents were accused. The sheriff was accused. And so on and so on. To make matters worse, after Tom's remains were found, Jeff Castletine, so that's Michael's father, who was the pre-K teacher, shot himself in his car at the rodeo grounds. People immediately began to say that Tom and Jeff were involved in some sort of affair and that Michael killed Tom when he found out. So that Jeff killed himself after Tom's remains were discovered out of grief. In reality though, Jeff struggled with his mental health his entire life and had recently developed worsening respiratory issues. So his wife, Shannon, had explained that, you know, this was a combination of his mental health decline, his physical health decline. He had been complaining for a long time that it was very difficult to breathe. Um, So that's the explanation of of the timing. But small towns are gonna talk you know. So Klein maintains that Tom had been a victim of foul play and Canadian has a murderer lurking around. Signs went up in Canadian that said justice for Tom there is a killer among us and then it had a request to pray that Tom's killer was found and brought to justice along with the attorney general's office contact information to provide tips. The signs caused division in the community though. And someone started to vandalize them. They, I believe, cut out the section of the signs that said there's a killer among us. Now in August of 2019, the Texas Attorney General's office held a meeting where they announced that the investigation was suspended indefinitely as there was no evidence to lean one way or the other that Tom could have died from natural causes for all they knew. And lastly, they stated that Lewis did not conduct an improper investigation. Now, in October 2019, the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement, otherwise known as T. Cole, began conducting an investigation into Lewis, which included allegations from Deputy Clapp. He claimed that Jerry Lynn Ortega saw training hours in her file that she felt were fraudulent And T. Cole was provided documents that Lewis produced training hours for five members of the office, including himself and Pine. T. Cole interviewed Clapp and Ortega, and the documents show that Clapp confirmed Lewis' falsified training documentation, and documents say Deputy Chief Clapp agreed with investigators that it appeared Lewis had fabricated portions of the training documents. Lewis told investigators that he counted things like taking inmates to and from jail and on-the-job activities as training. Clapp told TECOL investigators that Lewis had fabricated documents about a, quote, missing person a year and a half after the case. When he was asked to provide documentation supporting the training, he gave documents with a date of September 18, 2018, but those were found to be created over a month later. So they were actually created a month after the date on the document of September 18th. Lewis received a formal reprimand, but that was really all that happened. During Clapp's T. Cole interview, he told them that the attorney general's office was asking about whether surveillance from the Dollar General store. So remember earlier we talked about Penny saying she was shown a photo and then Lewis told her it was from Dollar General. She thought it was from a dash cam and then he just said no such picture ever existed afterwards. So Clapp is telling T Cole that the AG's office came asking questions about this surveillance video because the Dollar General is located right next to the gas station where Tom was last seen. And they want to know if this uh, video has existed or not because there was um, a lot of talk and rumors and things going around about this video. So Lewis. Um, had always just denied any existence of a video. He always said that there was no surveillance video from Dollar General. But according to Clapp, once the AG's office came asking the questions, Lewis told him one day in his office that he had just watched the surveillance footage from Dollar General, but there was nothing on it, so he threw it away. It was just simply nothing helpful, so he threw it away and respectfully i must ask what the fuck couldn't find much else about that though so in november nathan lewis resigned he claimed that the hemp hill county officials asked him to resign due to the pressure from tom's case and his recent controversy over the fabricated documents Clapp was later fired, and so Klein made a Facebook post about his termination, reporting that he was fired for telling investigators the truth about the documents. In this post, he states that Hemphill County had a corruption problem. Something interesting in the Tom Brown's Body podcast is that Klein suggests that Lewis helped cover up Tom's death, which was an accident by another teen just messing with him with the 25 caliber gun. Klein theorizes that the kid called maybe a parent or another adult who called Lewis. And there's a clip in this podcast played when Skip calls Lewis and runs these allegations past him. And Lewis just laughs, this kind of like strange, like movie type laugh. Like I can't describe it. So again, <laughs> I urge you to listen to this podcast. Um, It's kind of, I don't want to say it's like chilling, but um, it's weird. It's a weird reaction, I think. But he never says no or that it's simply untrue or anything similar to that. He just like laughs, like basically saying like, it's so ridiculous. These allegations are laughable. And he goes on to talk about how he's been accused of killing Tom and putting his body into a wood chipper and various other rumors. And he, you know, just laughs them off. When Skip asks Lewis what he think happened, Lewis still says that he believes Penny is involved. Now, according to a Canadian record article... County attorney Kyle Miller released copies of letters sent to defense attorneys in the area to notify them that Lewis was under investigation by the Texas Rangers. And another letter that he would not accept any future cases submitted by Pine Gregory for prosecution. Within the letter, he stated multiple cases submitted by Gregory were already refused for, quote, lack of sufficient probable cause and or Misapplication of the law. So before we end here, I want to just kind of quickly touch upon some CCTV footage details. Uh, I would recommend looking them up to watch if you're interested you know they're on YouTube and I believe they're uploaded from a podcast called The Unfound. Um, while I was researching, I read that this podcast did a I believe three hour episode on the case and it included interviews with Penny. So I'll probably check it out now that I've covered this. Um, But in these videos that I did watch, you can see security footage from nearby buildings in the town catching the vehicles that appear to match Tom's. Um, He had chalk lettering on the outside of his windows. I think it said, go cats and, you know, like little decorations. Um, So that's uh, how Penny was able to say that she could tell that that was his vehicle uh, because there were some that were similar, but um, his was, you know, easily found by that. But there was also multiple sheriff's office vehicles in this footage. Now, Tom's vehicle appears to be caught on camera multiple times driving around town between the hours of like approximately 1.30 to 6 a.m. before his vehicle was caught on camera entering the water treatment plant area where it was found to be abandoned. That footage, though, of him entering that area where it was ultimately found has never been released, and according to the information in the video uploaded, Penny has never seen it either. So the video that I really want to discuss most is taken at 6.23 a.m. on November 24th. So this would have been uh, overnight. You know, they're out searching for him. It's 6.30 the next morning after his disappearance. And it shows a sheriff officer's vehicle um, driving past an empty parking lot. It makes a U-turn and then it pulls in. Seconds after that one pulls in, an unmarked SUV pulls in. So this unmarked vehicle had been seen in other footage throughout the town. And the person who uploaded this video said they determined from the other footage that this was also a sheriff's vehicle. Sheriff office vehicle. So the deputy gets out of the marked car, walks over to the unmarked vehicle, and speaks to the occupant for about a minute or so, gets back into his vehicle, and they both pull off. The significance of this video is that the location of this parking lot where they were meeting was about one and a half miles away from where Tom's Durango was found. And if what the uploader is saying about the timestamp is correct, then they would have been meeting within 30 minutes of the time that Tom's vehicle was abandoned. So it poses a pretty big question. Like if Tom was driving back and forth around and through the town and so were sheriff's office vehicles, then how did they miss him? If it's being caught, (laughs) if everyone's vehicles are being caught within minutes of each other in the same area multiple times, Some of them aren't even minutes. So um, there are more videos and I, like I said, would recommend taking a peek at them because there's other things that um, I'm not discussing here. Not that I don't want to, I'm just saying I, you know, that's just that video to me is the one that stuck out the most. Um, So again, I would definitely recommend taking a look if you're interested in the case. Personally, I watched them like 25 times each, but that one in the morning with the two officer vehicles was the one I watched the most. Um, because I was trying to like, look at the deputy's body language. Um, there's a moment where he kind of throws his hands up. So you just kind of get sucked into looking at that stuff. But anyway, as I said before, I got a lot of important details from the Tom Brown's body podcast. And again, I would strongly recommend listening I did notice that it received some reviews where people expressed their disappointment and how they felt that there was um no conclusion to the end of the series. But they they're right. There is no conclusion. This is an unsolved case. Nobody knows what happened to Tom in 2021. Nobody knows. This isn't a movie where it can just be like wrapped up in a neat little box with a bow. Like this is a family's life turned upside down and changed forever. And they have yet to find a conclusion. So I just read a couple of those and I was like, I don't know, hacked me off. Um, but it is a good podcast. Um, as far as like, I feel getting the most accurate information because he's there and you're hearing the actual audio from these people. Now, there have been a few couple little updates here and there. I believe Klein had an update in July of this year and it's just talking about, um, you know, it's still active and ongoing. They still believe he was a victim of foul play. He kind of alludes to having suspects, but he's always very vague. Um, so you can check that out and I believe it was the summer of 2020. I could be mistaken, but one of the attorney general's office, um, investigators was seen back in Canadian. So rumors kind of sparked up again. People were like, Oh my goodness, is something going on? Is there new information, new evidence, that sort of thing. But, um, I wasn't able to find anything that had come out of that. So hopefully sooner than later, um, something will, you know, there will be an update because as it stands, nobody knows What happened to Tom Brown? And I think that is awful for his family. Um, To end, here is a quote from Skip's podcast from Christian Webb. And she says, quote, I don't think it will ever be the same. I've learned that some people aren't who they said they were. People I've known my entire life. I'm definitely more paranoid wherever I go. I definitely watch my back more and pay attention to what's going on around me just to make sure what happened to Tom doesn't happen to me and doesn't happen to others around me. I had some like cool kind of closing on these episodes and I don't. And I always just sit here and say, okay, well, thank you. And I sound like a big nerd. Um, so I'm going to just always plug my socials at the end of these episodes until maybe I get some wonderful Patreons and, um, I can plug you and say your name. Um, so I do, as I have mentioned a few times in the past, Um, I'm slowly building up my Patreon page. It's pretty much done and ready to go. I just have to put the episodes in there, um, which I already have two that should be done this week. And I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. Um, It's James Holmes and Mary Bell. So if you want to check that out, um, there's nothing there right now, but there's other stuff that you can read. Um, it is patreon.com slash a pine pod. So a, the word pine, the word pod. Um, and I, there is a section at the bottom that explains that, um, 10% of any donations do go to a missing persons and unsolved cases project, um, or organization. I'm sorry. It's called Project Cold Case. And They're not actually an organization that is working to solve. What they do is they um, publicize and they are an advocacy group. And they also, this is the thing that made me kind of read more and decide that that's who I wanted to go to. They offer support groups, which I thought was very helpful. So if you want to go check that out, um, if you want to send me an email case suggestions, I do have a couple in my inbox, but I'm trying my hardest to work these things in the order that I promised I would. And there's still things that people have suggested from March that I haven't done. <laughs> so, um, it's not that I haven't seen them or that I'm ignoring you They're there I'm just, I got to work there. Uh, so that is a pine podcast at gmail.com. Instagram at a pine for true crime. And then again, if you want to show appreciation in just a really quick, easy way, it doesn't cost anything at all. Um, Apple podcast reviews are always really helpful. And I don't believe you have to be an Apple user to do that. I could be wrong though. Um, but I notice when I look at my analytics that um, like, uh, I don't know. 60 something percent of you are using Apple anyway so even if you can't all do it that's fine if some of you could that would be wonderful if you don't want to because you're like I don't want to give a review because you suck then okay that's cool wait until you can give a good one (laughs) you can leave a bad one but if you want to wait until a good one that's fine too and at some point I will stop rambling on about all these it'll just be real quick real quick at the end